We'll add up there. Do we have it? Yay! Woo! So, uh, again, my name is Suzanne Vogel. I am uh, the, one of the pastors at Meredith Drive Reformed Church, and it is such a joy for me to be here today for lots of reasons. The, the first reason is that uh, I just bring you greetings from Meredith Drive uh, as a church They've invested deeply in Renew, and it is so delightful to be here and to see what God has done among you. Um, I also uh, have been praying for you a very long time. Uh, I used to be the clerk of our classes, and I think I was one of the first people who got the phone call that said, hey, we're this group of us who have a heart for Ames are thinking about calling this guy named Aaron. And I was like, really? Are you? No, just kidding. <laughs> I was like, thanks be to God. Um, and so uh, I've personally been praying for you for a long time. Uh, and then obviously it is such a privilege uh, that Krista asked me to be here this morning as part of her ordination. Uh, Krista and I are in a similar stage of life. Our sons did marching band together, but... Uh, Probably more deeply, it has been such a fun thing to watch Krista stand as a woman of influence and faith at Prairie Ridge, at Renew, in the classes, in the denomination. I remember having conversations. I did seminary later in life. And so when she sat across from me at a table and said, I think I feel like God's calling me to go to seminary, I could look at her and say, you're nuts. <laughs> and mean it. And yet say, if God is calling, God will provide. And he has. And it is such a delight. So I, I feel like it's just a, I feel like I want to burst this morning. Um, and so I hope you get a sense of God's faithfulness from this day, even as we celebrate the particularness of Krista's call together. So if you have your Bible, I want you to open to Luke 10. We're going to begin at verse 38 and read through the end of the chapter. And I want you to hear the word of the Lord this morning. Now, as Jesus and his disciples went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, and so she came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. So uh, I imagine when Krista called me and asked if I would preach this morning, the first passage that came to mind was this passage. And it might seem obvious, right? It's a passage that seems to be a warning to busy, task-driven women about slowing down and making sure they spend time with Jesus. And 
Heaven knows you and I both fit that description. And my husband will tell you, I need this reminder often. The trouble is, I don't think that's really what this passage is about. I mean, it's a thing this passage is about, but I think to assume that's what this passage is about misses a whole deeper reality about what radical discipleship looks like and a God who welcomes unexpected people. So, to understand that, I think we need to understand a little bit about the culture of the time when this story happened. You see, when Jesus came, the culture of the time was decidedly patriarchal. And I mean decidedly, in a way that it's difficult for us to even get our head around. For example, the daily prayer for Jewish men included this praise of thanksgiving. Praise be to God that he has not created me a woman. Women's place was in the home, raising children and overseeing hospitality. Women were not invited to be spoken to in public. That would have been a scandal. And they had no legal standing in the culture. They could not own property except in really exceptional circumstances, and they were not given legal right to bear witness. It's attributed to Rabbi Eliezer, in the, one of the first century teachers, that he said, rather should the word of the Torah be burned than entrusted to a woman. And in the temple in Jerusalem, there was a separate area for women to worship. They were not allowed to read or speak. Now, I share this with you for you to begin to get your head around this moment, this moment that we enter into. And in this context, actually where this, we find this story in Luke, Jesus is at the height of his ministry. We begin the chapter, chapter 10, with Jesus sending out 72 additional disciples who were undoubtedly men, because that's who would have been welcomed in that day. And they have come back, and they're seeing all kinds of good things happening with God. And then Jesus ends up in another contest with the religious leaders of the day about who was in and who was out. In fact, Jesus has the nerve to make a hated Samaritan the hero of a story. So this is the context, right? And we now enter into verse 38. Where Jesus, uh, where Luke makes the simple statement, now as Jesus and his disciples went on the trip, they entered a certain village. Now, the first thing is, I think it was easy for me to imagine an intimate dinner, Jesus, Mary, Martha, a quiet little affair. But if you read the text carefully, it says, they... Now, I don't know how many they was. Could at least, probably was 12 others besides Jesus. Most likely, it could have been as many as 72 additional people. Now, how many of you would be prepared today after church to welcome an additional 70 people into your home? Right? This is a deal. There is a lot going on, and I want you to note, just for the record, Martha is not going to come off well in this text. 
But, yeah, as Krista laughs, it's true. But notice, it's her home. It's her home, it says, specifically, which means she's a remarkable woman in this culture. And any woman who can welcome 70 extra people for lunch is okay in my book, all right? So let's just keep this all in the context of which it's happening. But so now we have this home that is bustling and full. This is not surprising in the near or the ancient Near East. Hospitality is a big thing. And so there would have been uh, disciples everywhere, laughing, smelling food. There's all kinds of activity and buzz, and it would appear that Jesus is teaching and talking as was his normal. And it's into that space that Luke makes a very simple statement. Martha had a sister named Mary who sat at Jesus' feet and listened to what he was saying. Now, that little statement holds so much tension. See, in this culture, you sat at a rabbi's feet when you were a formal disciple. Sitting at a rabbi's feet wasn't just like hanging out in the rec room. This was a statement. It said that she was choosing in a formal way to become a disciple. Now, I want you to imagine this moment, if you would, with me, right? The room is full. Have you ever been in a place where you knew you were not welcome or you might not be welcomed? Anybody ever have an experience like that? Oh, yeah. I remember really clearly one of my most vivid ones. I was, uh, in my, I was 19, and I spent a summer in Tanzania, East Africa, which is uh, a close to a fourth world country. There were six of us young, eager college students doing a missions trip, actually all of us women, uh, with our two chaperones, and we went to a political rally. There were close to 500 people there that day, all of, none of them looked like me. And I remember walking into that space and feeling so nervous and wondering, would I be welcomed or not? My guess is you've had that experience too. And I don't know what moved Mary that day. Maybe it was hope about, maybe she'd heard the story about the Good Samaritan. Maybe she was seeing that Jesus was sending more disciples. But something in her that day said, now is the time. So she walked into this room full of men, deliberately and carefully, sat at Jesus' feet. Now imagine for a minute you're in that room. Can you feel the tension of it? <gasps> what just happened? I mean, I can imagine, can you imagine all the side conversations that are going on, right? Because that's what happens in those places, right? All these, what, what is she doing? Is that Mary? Is that Martha's sister? The nervous Lester is, she should know better than this. What is Jesus going to do about this? But it's interesting, none of the disciples talk because by now they've learned Jesus does this kind of stuff. And I'm not sure they trust that, you know, they've got a handle on what's going to happen next. So they're at least smart enough to stay quiet. 
But that's the first thing I want you to understand is that radical courage it took Mary to walk in that room and to sit at the feet of Jesus. And I don't care whether you are a man or a woman, Jesus has this annoying habit of calling us into places that are uncomfortable. Can I get an amen? Right? Jesus does not say, come follow me and I will give you a Bentley or a Lexus. Or a... Jesus says, come follow me. And by the way, it's going to get interesting now. And Krista, one of the things I appreciate about you is that you have been willing to say yes to the call of Jesus regardless of what rooms it took you into. Rooms where I know you weren't sure if you were going to be welcomed. Rooms where it wasn't really easy to be a woman. And Mary, Mary is not the contemplative airhead that sometimes our culture wants to make her. Mary is a woman of courage and backbone and faith. And she plants herself at Jesus' feet and bears, frankly, the brunt of being misunderstood and being misaligned. She does a remarkable job of standing, well, in this case, sitting, and letting all kinds of swirl happen around her. Now, I want you to know that's not an easy thing to do, and that's part of being a disciple, a leader, and specifically a pastor. I wish I could tell you once again that following Jesus means everybody will agree with every decision you make. I wish I could tell you that being a pastor means everyone will follow you and sing your praises at coffee after church. Those of us who know the ministry understand. Those of us who know what it means to be a disciple, it's not an accident that Jesus said, pick up your... Yeah, pick up your instrument of death and follow me. It's not an accident that Paul equated leadership to being the first led into the arena to die. Part of leadership means being willing to have people who should know your heart be the ones who lead the accusation sometimes. That's the truth. And so it's not the disciples, right? Who comes out? Martha. How many of you have a sibling? <laughs> you should not be surprised. Right? I mean, the hard part is, is often those who are the closest to us are the most uncomfortable when things get hot. And sure enough, it's Martha who comes out and doesn't actually even talk to Mary, notice. She talks to Jesus. She walks out, and I'm sure, again, can you imagine the tension in the room? Like, here comes Martha. She looks at Jesus, and she says, don't you care? Don't you care that my sister has just made us the talk of the town? Don't you care that she left the place where she was supposed to be to go to the follow you? Don't you care that she's left me with this mess? 
it makes a little more, her anger and her frustration a little more understandable to me because this is a big deal. And I think often we get so distracted by trying to get life done that we don't slow down and pay attention to what God is doing in the people around us if we're not careful. I wonder what that moment was like for Mary. Perhaps you know it. Perhaps you've stepped out to follow Jesus and somebody around you didn't understand, didn't approve, didn't get it. I bet Mary stood there and wanted to stand up and push back. And here's the third thing that makes her remarkable. She doesn't. She doesn't. See, I would have wanted to, right? Particularly because it's my sister. I'd have wanted to stand up and been like, okay, now wait a minute. And that instinct within us to defend ourselves, Mary is wise enough to know when to be quiet and let Jesus defend her. Because I promise you, Jesus was better at it than she was. And that's one of the, also, the difficult things about leadership is knowing when do we speak, when do we move, when do we take those stands, and when do we need to simply be quiet and let the God of the universe defend us. Again, I wish I could tell you this will never happen. But Jesus seems to assume it will when he actually, in his Beatitudes, says, Blessed are you when you are persecuted, when your enemies move against you. Pray for them. Pray for them. And Mary sits and lets Jesus defend her. I wonder if she wondered if it would happen. I do sometimes. Jesus doesn't normally uh, move in the time frames that I prefer. But that's the beautiful thing, is that she sits in courage and vulnerability, and God, incarnate, in flesh, looks at Martha with both love and a little exasperation, and says, Martha, Martha, don't you understand what's happening this day? I bless this. Mary has chosen to follow me regardless of the cost. That's the very best thing. I don't think this is a rebuke of housework. I don't think this is a rebuke of busyness. It's an affirmation of this kind of radical discipleship that says, I will follow Jesus no matter what. Even if it breaks expectations, even if it makes other people a little uncomfortable, even if it lands me in the center of a mess. That's the kind of discipleship Jesus invites, male or female, young or old, rich or poor. Jesus invites us to his feet. 
And I want to thank you for being brave enough to say yes to a call that looked unlikely and costly, to be willing to bear the questions, why would you do this now? Why would you pay this much money? Why would you say yes? I want to thank you for the days you have bit your tongue and chosen obedience and the days you will bite your tongue and choose faith. May you and may we have such a radical love of Jesus that we're willing to do whatever it takes to get to his feet. Let's pray.